Please open your Bibles to the book of Zechariah, near the end of your Old Testaments. Thank you, Charlie, for praying for the Lord to see us in our small number. Amen. But with Him, it doesn't matter whether it's many or few. Amen. I'd like to read to you a few verses from Zechariah chapter 4. I want to read ten verses to you, beginning with the first verse. And the angel that talked with me came again, and waked me as a man that is wakened out of his sleep, and said unto me, What seest thou? And I said, I looked, and behold, a candlestick all of gold, with a bowl upon the top of it, and his seven lamps thereon and seven pipes to the seven lamps, which are upon the top thereof, and two olive trees by it, one upon the right side of the bowl, and the other upon the left side thereof. So I answered and spake to the angel that talked with me, saying, What are these, my Lord? Then the angel that talked with me answered and said unto me, Knowest thou not what these be? And I said, No, my Lord. Then he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Who art thou, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel thou shalt become a plain, and he shall bring forth the headstone thereof with shoutings, crying, Grace! grace unto it. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hands shall also finish it. And thou shalt know that the Lord of hosts hath sent me unto you. For who hath despised the day of small things? For they shall rejoice and shall see the plummet in the hand of Zerubbabel with those seven. They are the eyes of the Lord, which run to and fro through the whole earth. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Let us pray again. Heavenly Father, we take comfort and direction from these words for ourselves. I take it for myself. And, O Lord, deliver us from laying even a foundation of anything in the flesh. But grant us thy Holy Spirit that we might do it according to thy power and thy might, even by the Spirit of the living God. Have mercy upon us in the name of Jesus Christ. We do pray. Amen. Amen. The book of Zechariah is not difficult. Zechariah was a prophet sent by God to encourage the recovered remnant from Babylon who were in Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. You can read in the beginning of this book that it occurred in the second year of Darius. You know that was immediately upon the fall of the Babylonian Empire when Cyrus the Persian told the scattered Jews that they could return to their land and rebuild that city and rebuild the temple. But can you imagine a land that had been razed to the ground by Nebuchadnezzar lying fallow 
for 70 years what it looked like? Do you know how small the number of the Jews were that, re- that were recovered to that place? Small things. It was small. Right. And it was pitiful. And it was discouraging. So God raised up a couple prophets, Haggai and Zechariah. And Zechariah, the book of Zechariah, is an encouragement to Zerubbabel to build. And there's great prophecies in this book about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ who would come into that second temple that would be built. But what we want to see today in this fourth chapter, and we'll not spend our time here because it should be simple to us to see the picturesque language of a prophet. He sees a lamp, a candlestick, with seven lamps on it. Now, have we encountered a candlestick with seven lamps on it before? Yes, we have. What book of the Bible? Revelation. Revelation. We see the Son of Man walking among His golden candlestick. And those seven flames are according to the third chapter and the first verse and the first chapter, the seven spirits of God. Remember that from the book of Revelation? We have the Spirit of God here, represented so many times in the Bible with olive oil that we shouldn't even have to think about that one. But we have a lamp with a bowl with seven lamps above it and two trees. And the trees are olive trees. So the oil is flowing from a living thing into the lamp and giving us the seven spirits of God, which are the seven eyes of the Lord that run to and fro in the earth. And those seven eyes would accompany the plummet of Zerubbabel and would bless it. So that though they looked and saw, the foundation that they were laying was small. And there'd be a temptation to despise it. There would be a cause for rejoicing if you understand what the power of the God of the Lord can do, even in small things. Amen. That is the message of Zechariah chapter 4. It's not by might, Zerubbabel. It's not by power. It's by my spirit, right. saith the Lord. And brethren, to you today, it is not by might. It is not by power. It is by my spirit, saith the Lord. Why in the world did I have a brother come up to me this morning wanting to take a Bible and shove it in my face kindly, lovingly, and show me the first five verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 2 where Paul said that he did not come with the wisdom of man speech, but he came in fear and in trembling that their faith might not stand in his speech, but in the power of of the Spirit of God. Why did Charlie pray for small things? I find that very comforting this morning as we get started. I want to tell you something about small things. Don't despise them. I love this place that it says, For they shall rejoice and shall see the plummet in the hand of Zerubbabel with those seven. You give me a man laying out a foundation with the seven spirits of God assisting... And we'll see a temple that will be greater in glory than the first temple was. And the second temple was greater. 
Because I read that a man, and I've told you this many times, but I never get tired of hearing it, and neither should you. And if you have the Spirit of God in you, you can never tire of hearing about the one person that the whole universe revolves around, and it's the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth. From beginning to end, the creation of Adam Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden to the gathering together of the bride is for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ to the praise and glory and pleasure of God Almighty. Everything is for the glory of Jesus of Nazareth. And I read that the Spirit led him up into the temple at the appropriate time, and he saw the holy child Jesus. I was asked this past week, we deny all those that leave Jesus lying in a manger. And why did I keep referring to the holy child Jesus? Well, I kept referring to the holy child Jesus last Sunday because that's how Acts chapter 4, a very powerful prayer, refers to him. And therefore, I will refer to him that way. And he is the holy child Jesus. And he was. And he is no more. Take any verb tense you wish. He is the child of God Almighty. And if you want to invoke a name which is above every name that gets the attention of the Lord Most High and evokes in him the strongest feelings, those, are, those words are so pitiful, the strongest feelings of protection and blessing and vengeance, it's to invoke the name of your holy child Jesus that men are blaspheming it. Right. Go read that prayer. The place was shaken. Why? Because the Lord of hosts was aroused by that prayer because they were pointing out that the Jews are speaking against your holy child, Jesus. (laughs) Brethren, you want to pray powerfully? And I, I didn't get to deal on this point last Sunday because I ran out of time. And that's all the places in the Bible where Jesus said, if ye will ask anything in my name, my father will do it for me. Right. that the Son might be glorified in the Father. Amen. We say, in Jesus' name, amen. Let's slow that down. We close all of our prayers in some form or fashion of that statement, but let us dwell on that name that we are invoking and love him with our hearts and realize that when that name leaves our lips and ascends into the holy place of God, He hears that prayer, and he will do it, that the Son might be glorified in the Father. I have seen all human history so easily spread out this past week as nothing but a grand play, a drama of the great God to reveal his Son Jesus, and by so doing, to reveal the incredible, infinite glories of himself to take a man and to raise him up far above all principalities and powers and every name that is named not only in this world but in the world to come and has given him to be the head of all things you exist for that purpose is to glory and to love and to adore and to worship the Lord Jesus Christ and if you don't do it voluntarily this morning and you refuse 
you will still kneel before him right. and acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father in that great day. Amen. And the smoke of your torment and the smoke of the torment of the devil and his angels shall ascend into his holy presence forever and ever and ever because Jesus Christ is the end all of all. Amen. But what if I told you I didn't want to preach about Jesus Christ this morning? What if I told you that I intend to preach on the Holy Spirit? Amen. Do you know where that leaves me? Preaching on Jesus Christ. Right. Amen. Do you know what Jesus said of the Holy Spirit? He will not testify of himself. He will testify of me. We have a brand of Christianity today called the charismatic religion. They glory in the Holy Ghost more than they glory in the Son of God. They talk about the Holy Spirit all the time, and the Holy Spirit doesn't want to be talked about very often. The Holy Spirit wants to hear Jesus Christ exalted because the whole universe exists. That the man Christ Jesus might receive all honor and glory and praise and dominion from the lips of men and angels alike forever and ever and ever. Amen. Amen. The text is Zechariah 4, 6. This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Right. And brethren, I have never in my life wanted this verse as much as I do this morning. Because anything in my might or anything in your might, anything in my power or in your power is not enough. You'll go away empty and so will I. But by my spirit, we can all go away filled. Amen. And I'm convinced of that completely. We are told that God seeks such that will worship him in spirit and in truth. Amen. We love the truth, but I fear that we often neglect the Spirit. I'll have more to say. Don't be disappointed this morning if I end too soon and don't get to answer all your questions. But there's limited time. We need the strength for the task that I've preached the last three months. Amen. The holiness is not going to come by might and by power. Right. If you try to build a holy life, by power and by might and by self-discipline, you're building it in the flesh and it will amount to nothing. Right. He'll crush you. Satan will crush you. The Lord will crush you. The Lord wants us depending upon Him. Amen. And we must depend upon Him if we're to accomplish anything at all. All of our strength must come from the Holy Ghost. Right. And it is freely available. Credible. The God of heaven is waiting to live in you fully and to give you all the strength you need to do everything unto all pleasing for him. Right. I could. So the New Testament's all about. We need a spiritual religion. Mm -hmm. Not one of mere head knowledge of Bible doctrine. The devils know that. Right. And they tremble at their knowledge of it. We want more than that. We want a spiritual religion from the inside out where the power of God resides within us and leads us 
and blesses us, strengthens us and guides us into all truth and into all knowledge and wisdom and spiritual understanding and all the fruit that he bears. From the inside out, it is not from the outside in. It's from the inside out. For out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water, Jesus prophesied in John chapter 7. And you can't turn that spigot, and neither can I. But we can trust in the living God and meet the conditions that he lays forth for us, which are simple and few. And he'll turn that spigot, and it will spring forward. It will spring into a fountain of everlasting life. We don't want religion in form without the power. We want a powerful spiritual religion. And then we can worry about the form. The Lord will take care of the form if we're submitting to Him. Most Baptists, neg- most Baptists neglect the Holy Spirit. You can listen to many sermons and you don't hear too much about the Holy Spirit of God. But if you were to grab a concordance or your Bible computer program and look up the Spirit in the New Testament, you'll be shocked. We shouldn't be, but I think we would be. So that's why I'm preaching on it. Most Baptists neglect the Spirit of God. And they do it because they found contentment in their form, in their truth. And because they overreact against that charismatic segment of religion that overblows the Holy Spirit, distorts the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, perverts His ministry among believers, and denies all the rules He gave anyway. It's incredible what they do. But... One error should not lead us to another. Let's hate both ditches equally. Jesus hated both when he was on this earth. Let's find that narrow way that leads unto life. And it's not so narrow that we can't find it. And it's not so narrow that we get hurt trying to get into it. Unless you call having false doctrine shaved off painful, we should want that. And find that narrow way to follow the Lord exactly exactly according to the Word of God. And I want to follow Him with His Spirit and not by my might or my power. I've learned that lesson, I hope. And I say that not haughtily nor arrogantly because I still say it with great fear. I don't want to learn learn that lesson again. And I will if I spend any time in my might or my power. Calluses on your knees are the evidence of power and might, not the size of your bicep. The Lord will give us the power. Amen. And it's not by my volume either. It's by the Lord Himself. Amen. The Holy Spirit, not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. You know, if you don't know the Spirit of God, you're not even saved. Right. Do you know how you're born again? Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost has already met you this morning. And you weren't looking for him when he met you. He met you and washed you anew and gave you a new heart. and You were born again and you have a spiritual new man inside you. The power of the living God came down into you and changed you. By his grace, not by works of righteousness. It wasn't in the waters of baptism, and it wasn't answering some invitation to come forward in a service. It was by the operation of the Spirit of God that moves when and where he pleases, and according to the will of God. 
We don't know whence he cometh and whither he goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. Not just a few. Everyone that's born of the Spirit is born the same way by the operation of the Spirit of God. We personally depend on him for salvation. Amen. So much more could be said on that point, but I want to leave it. Listen, he indwells us. The Apostle Paul would claim in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 that we ought to avoid fornication and sins of the body because the Holy Spirit lives within our body. 1 Corinthians 6.19 Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? That ye are not your own? That ye are bought with a price? Therefore glorify God in your bodies and in your spirit, which are God's. There's an appeal there and an assumption that we're supposed to know that, that the Holy Spirit is in us. Well, what are you making the Holy Spirit listen to? Read, see, or fornicate with, which was the point in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. There is nothing in that chapter about cigarette smoking, skull, cigars, or alcohol. I'm going to tell you something. Those little people who go into 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and come out of there with a verse against smoking have no clue. The Holy Spirit doesn't care if you have a submarine sandwich for lunch or a Big Mac. The Holy Spirit doesn't care if you smoke one cigarette this afternoon or a pack. As long as you meet the other qualifications elsewhere. That chapter is not talking about that. And to to get waylaid and way off into some subdivision while you're trying to get on the interstate is a waste of time. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 is about sin. If the Holy Spirit is dwelling within us, what are you feeding Him through the ears and through the eyes and through your friendship and through your bodily actions that involve morality, sin, God's commandments? The importance of the Holy Ghost. The Bible says the body without the Spirit is dead. And a church without the Spirit is dead. And you without the Spirit are dead. Amen. Right. Now that's, that should make it important enough right there. Amen. If you do not have the Spirit of Christ, you are none of His. Romans chapter 8. About verse 9. It is verse 9. If you, have the, if you don't have the Spirit of Christ, you are none of His. If a church doesn't have the Spirit of Christ, the candlestick has been removed, and they are the congregation of the dead. Oh, they might have loud singing. They all might bring their Bibles. They all might listen to the preaching of the Word of God. But they are dead. Lord, help us. Save us. Amen. We depend on Him for our lives and for the life that we have in God. Let's turn in our Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. I hope I haven't said anything too difficult for even our youngest members to understand. I worry about our young members. So I'm going to ask you a question. How many gods do we believe in? One. We believe in one God. Here's where people get waylaid. We believe in one God. Deuteronomy chapter 6, look at verse 4. Hear, O Israel, 
The Lord our God is one Lord. Amen. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. We worship one God. And that is very important when we talk about the Holy Spirit. Because if you don't have your hands a hold of that, you'll end up with some three-headed monster in which the Spirit is the least important, effective, and powerful of all three. Right. We worship one God. You say, are you going to explain the Trinity to us this morning? No, I'm not. The Holy Spirit told me not to exercise myself in matters that are too high for me. Amen. Right. Psalm 119. So I'm going to leave that. I'm not going to try to tell you it's like an egg that has a yolk, a white, and a shell. That's horrible. I'm not going to try to tell you anything except this, 1 John 5, 7. There are three that bear record in heaven. Amen. The Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three right. are one. Amen. And you're the, you have the only Bibles available in America today that have that verse. That's right. And without that verse, what would we say on this great and deep and mysterious subject? What would we say? Well, we could turn over to Genesis chapter 1, but we will anyway, because it's in our Bibles. 1 John 5, 7, there are three that bear record in heaven. The Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. Well, tell us how they're three and how they're one. I'll tell you that there are three that bear record in heaven. Amen. The Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. But those three are one. Amen. There is only one nature that we can say is God. Though he may manifest himself in three different personalities. I don't like any of those words. But there are three. Right. And they have different names. Mm -hmm. And yet, and yet, okay. the names are interchangeable. Because even Jesus Christ himself is called Amen. The Everlasting Father. <laughs> so where does that leave us? Thank you, Lord. One God. We believe that there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. Amen. So that when we talk, the whole purpose of this is to say that when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we are talking about the living God. Amen. No less. Right. Not the force of the Everlasting God. The everlasting God right. referred to in the Bible under a male pronoun, he or him. Amen. Genesis chapter 1. We want to identify our God. I look in verse 26. And God said, And God said, Let us make man in our images, in our image. Let us make man in our image. Is image singular or plural? Singular. Is our, the pronoun, singular or plural? 
How about us? Plural. Plural. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in His own image. In the image of God created He Him. Male and female created He them. God can speak of Himself in the plural and in the singular because He's there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. Right. And the point, all that I want to get right now is not to delve into the mysteries of the Trinity, which has caused men all sorts of problems and heresies, like the eternal sonship and the eternal procession of the Spirit. Right. The Spirit of God I'm preaching to you this morning does not eternally proceed from anywhere. He proceeded once. From God the Father to His Son Jesus Christ and into the church on the day of Pentecost. Amen. He doesn't proceed perpetually. He's given them to the church. And He's here. And He's here to stay. Amen. Until time shall be no more. That is time as we know it. At the baptism of Jesus Christ, John the Baptist could see that he was baptizing the Son of God. The Word made flesh. Right. While he had the Word made flesh in his hands and was baptizing him, he heard a voice from heaven. This is my beloved Son. Amen. And that voice from heaven told him internally, upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining, he's the one I've been telling you about. Amen. Now think about that for a minute. There's three parties, personalities at work, but there's only one God. Amen. There is only one God. God the Father was speaking to John the Baptist externally and internally, and he was baptizing the Son of God, and the Spirit came down and dwelt upon the Son of God at his baptism in the form of a dove. He is not any spirit. You know, the Bible tells us to be fervent in spirit. That means we're supposed to be on fire, enthusiastic individuals for the sake of the gospel. Amen. Sometimes that spirit in the Bible is not referring to the Holy Spirit of God, but our spirit, which obviously, if we're saved, and if we're walking in the spirit, is motivated, directed, and enlivened by the spirit of God. But this isn't any spirit we're talking about. This is the Holy Spirit of God. And notice Amen. that he's called the Holy Spirit because the holiness of God is so important. Right. How many times do we have that four-letter word in the New Testament describing the Spirit or the ghost of God? Holy. And by the way, he's called the Holy Ghost. Right. Because ghost is merely another word in English for the word spirit. Right. It means no flesh and blood. That's all. Amen. It's not a white sheet with two black holes <laughs> running around at Halloween. Nothing like that at all. I read that our father Jacob drew his knees up into bed and gave up the ghost. All that means is the soul of man, the spirit of man, without flesh and blood, departed from his body. The flesh and blood stayed right there in the bed. His soul, his spirit, his ghost went to be with the Lord. And when we talk about the Holy Ghost, we're talking about the spirit of God. There's not a body. Jesus Christ is the only 
one that has a body that's connected to the Godhead. And he shall always have his body. And you will see his body with your eyes. And if you wish, you may touch the nail prints in his hands and his feet and see the hole in his side. In Genesis chapter 1, the second verse of the Bible, we read these words. Let's get the first verse. It's so short. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void. And darkness was upon the face of the deep. The earth was ugly. It doesn't say good and very good in this verse, does it? It was ugly. It was without any form. And it was dark. And it says the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Can we find in the Bible where it says that God created the heavens and the earth? Of course, first verse. Can we find in the Bible that Jesus Christ created all things by himself? Amen. Amen. And what do we find here in the second verse? That it was the Spirit of God that was moving upon the face of the waters. Amen. You say, you're confusing me. No, it's simple. There's one God. And the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, is God. Amen. That is, I just want to keep reinforcing that from the Bible. Do not go into the error that he's just the force of God. He is God. When the Father says, I will come and dwell with you and abide with you in John 14, 15, and 16, how does he do that? By his Spirit. But it's the Father that said, I will come to you. And Jesus said, I will come to you. And yet it's the Holy Spirit that does it. God's presence, it's not flesh and blood. It's it's his Spirit. Because he fills heaven and earth, brethren. It's not difficult for him to be in you and for him to be in me at the same time. He fills heaven and earth. But it's very easy for him to be in you and to be in me and not to be in most of the rest of the six billion on this planet. But they don't get away with one thing they do. Because he fills heaven and earth. That's the first chapter of the Bible. Turn over to the last chapter of the Bible. We're looking at the history of the Holy Spirit of God. We see him right off the bat in creation in the second verse of our Bibles. But we're going to see him at the end. In the last chapter of Revelation, verse 16, I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. Then what does it say? And the Spirit and the Bride say, Come. The Spirit of God in the church of Jesus Christ. And what does the church have in response to any statement by Jesus like that? Come. Come. And so what does he say? Surely I come quickly. Down there in verse 20. What does John say to that? Even so come. Lord Jesus. But notice the Spirit of God is here prompting the church, the bride of Christ, to say, Come. Without the Spirit of God, we are nothing. We shall accomplish nothing. We shall know nothing. And we'll die in our sins. Now there can be those that are saved that have the Spirit of God, and they shall not die in their sins but they can lead one miserable life wandering around in the wilderness because they've grieved and quenched that Holy Spirit of God so that His power, His comforting, His love, His joy 
is absent from your life. And all it is, is the boring, dry, lean, ritualistic form of religion with nothing in it. Oh, when he's in it, when he's in it, there's nothing on earth that compares. I get excited at a dominant sports event. That's my nature. But I can tell you easily, before God with clean and holy hands and a holy heart, that I never get as excited as I do when the Spirit of God is blessing me to know Him and to see Jesus Christ clearly, visibly, sweetly, like the last 36 hours. I have a far different story for you this morning. I'm not going to, no story, just far different from last weekend. And I thought, oh, Lord, thank you so much. Amen. When can bawling be so much pleasure? Bawling. Because you see Jesus Christ glorified. All of time just becomes a drama. It's a play on a stage, brethren, for one being. The man, Christ Jesus. Do you love him this morning? If he were here, he would take a seat. You say, don't be disrespectful. I'm not being. He is the man, Christ Jesus. Do you know how God gets all the glory? If you'll remember that he's a man, that he's exalted far above all those things I mentioned earlier. That's how God gets the glory. Because he put him at the pinnacle of the universe. God only accepted. We live in the New Testament. Do you know why I'm so glad? Because in the Old Testament, you only got the Spirit for a little burst. Right. Let's turn in, your, in our Bibles to the book of Judges. The book of Judges. We could look in the book of Numbers, but we don't want to look at Balaam. He's not an example for anyone except the wicked. Did the Spirit of God come on Balaam? Yep. Indeed, it did. he did. Right. Indeed, he did. Does that prove that he's going to heaven when he dies? Nope. No. How about Judas? Was Judas able to raise the dead and heal the sick yep. so well that no one could recognize that he might be the betrayer? Easily. Does that mean he's in heaven? No way. Right. Can he come on a donkey? Amen. Yes. The book of Judges. Let's look at chapter 6. Judges chapter 6 and verse 34. Let's get 33. Then all the Midianites and the Amalekites and the children of the east were gathered together and went over and pitched in the valley of Jezreel. It's a huge host against Israel. Verse 34. But the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, and he blew a trumpet, and Abiezer was gathered after him. What prompted a man named Gideon, who before this, we find him just raising a few crops. What prompted him to blow a trumpet and say, let's go to war against a host that outnumbered them greatly? The Spirit of the Lord. You're missing some boldness in your life? It's the Spirit of the Lord. When the Spirit of the Lord's in a man, you'll be bold. Because God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Now that's primarily ministerial, but it's also to all the saints of God. 
Because the comforting ministry of the Holy Spirit, the word comfort means to strengthen or encourage or to inspire or to help. And that comforting minute, when you encourage and help and strengthen someone or comfort them, you are making them bolder. It's for all of us. But notice this. It came on him. And then we'll read some things about Gideon where he obviously wasn't on him. Let's turn over to chapter 11, the book of Judges. The nation would depart from serving the Lord, would begin worshiping idols, and God would have to raise up a leader. And how would he do it? He'd send his spirit down to grab a man. The man would become bold. In Judges chapter 11, verse 29, Now, was Jephthah a happy and contented man? He was in the beginning. Not very happy because he'd been kicked out of his house, but he had a family. He had a daughter that he loved very much. Israel said, come and lead us into battle. He said, if you'll make me your head, I will. But then notice what happens as he starts heading for battle. Verse 29 Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah, and he passed over Gilead and Manasseh, and passed over Mizpah of Gilead, and from Mizpah of Gilead he passed over unto the children of Ammon. And he vows a vow unto the Lord. But what raised that man up to take an inferior army again and go into battle? The Spirit of the Lord came upon him. The Spirit of the Lord changes men. Amen. Amen. Chapter 14. Verse 5. Then went Samson down and his father and his mother to Timnath and came to the vineyards of Timnath. And behold, a young lion roared against him. Is this an old decrepit lion? A young lion roars against him. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him and he rent him as he would have rent a kid. And he had nothing in his hand. A young lion comes after Samson, he takes it and tears it like a farmer in those days or a shepherd in those days would tear a kid of the flock. Like hunters would tear a rabbit. He tore a lion and he had nothing in his hand. The whole point being, when the Spirit of the Lord comes mightily on a man, great things happen. Because he's the God of heaven and earth. And he comes and gives force to men. Now, we're not fighting lions, or are we? Do we need such strength and might in our lives? Okay, okay. Then you're not getting waylaid over here in the book of Judges, are you? How about 1 Samuel chapter 10? 1 Samuel chapter 10. We are not fighting a carnal warfare, and we're not looking for carnal strength. We're looking for spiritual strength. What is spiritual strength? Constant joy as much as he'll give us. That sounds like spiritual strength to me. How about love of God? Do you ever wonder why your heart seems so cold? They don't love the Lord as much as you should? The Spirit of God can give you greater love. You find it hard loving the brethren, but you know it's the spiritual thing to do? The Holy Ghost can give you greater love of the brethren. You sometimes weak in faith? The Holy Ghost can give you great faith. You're like Job. 
1 Samuel chapter 10. We have a man named Saul. How tall was Saul? Head and shoulders taller than anyone in Israel. But what kind of a man was he? Timid. When they went to crown him king, where was he? Hiding in the stuff. What did that man need to be a leader? Spirit. 1 Samuel chapter 10 and verse 6. Here's Samuel telling Saul what's going to happen to him. And the Spirit of the Lord will come upon thee, and thou shalt prophesy with them, and shalt be turned into another man. Amen. Is that great? Amen. A timid man can become another man by the Spirit of God. Let's look at verse 10 of that same chapter. And when they came thither to the hill, behold, a company of prophets met him, and the Spirit of God came upon him, and he prophesied among them. That's a big change for Saul. Saul kept asses, kept his father's asses. That was his job. All of a sudden, he's prophesying with the prophets, and he's changed into another man. He's no longer timid. Let's look at chapter 11. The Ammonites came and provoked the nation of Israel. Saul has just become king. And Saul hears a message that the Ammonites are wanting to provoke a fight. Mm -hmm. Verse 5, And behold, Saul came after the herd out of the field. Here he is, king of Israel, and he's still out there. He'd rather keep his asses. And Saul said, What aileth the people that they weep? And they told him the tidings of the men of Jabesh. And the Spirit of God came upon Saul when he heard those tidings, and his anger was kindled greatly. And he takes a yoke of oxen, hacks them up into 12 pieces, mails the pieces out, Federal Express, to all 12 tribes of Israel, and says, if you don't gather all your men that can fight and get here to take on the Ammonites, that's what your flocks are going to look like Amen. and herds. That is not a timid man. Right. That's a bold man. What made the difference? The Spirit of the living God. Amen. And I don't... I want to provoke you to see the importance and the strength and the history of how the Spirit of God moved in times past. But I don't want to appeal to your carnal desires this morning. I want to appeal to your spiritual desires Amen. that you want to see Jesus Christ and see Him plainer and more fully and with greater love and devotion than ever before. Yes. The Spirit of God can give you that and make you a different man. Amen. I could turn you to so many more. That's how he came on men in the Old Testament for brief periods of time. Notice he came for a brief period of time and Saul prophesied. As soon as the spirit left him, where'd the prophet Saul go? Back out to his father's asses. Then the spirit of the Lord had to come on him again. And he was, his anger was kindled greatly. He had a great victory. And then the Lord took his spirit away from Saul and gave it to a better man. And who was the better man? David. David. And you know what? He gave it to David forever. Amen. First Samuel 16. First Samuel 16. And brethren, we're all more like David than we are Saul. Yep. Now David had his moments. But do you know what he was still praying in Psalm 51? Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. What does that imply? He had it. Still had him, but he was in danger of losing him. Yep. 
and David knew. How do you write the Psalms that we have without the Spirit of God? How do you take on Goliath and just think of it as, well, is there not a cause? What made him like that? It's the Spirit of God. Look at 1 Samuel 16, verse 13. They finally called young David from the flocks. They'd forgotten about him. Samuel bypassed all of his older, better-looking brothers. They come to the youngest little runt, David. Verse 13, Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. Amen. So Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. But look at the next verse. But the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. Yep. What a difference. Yep. God just doesn't leave those men sometimes who don't want to obey him, but who want to rebel. Remember, Saul was guilty of rebellion, which Samuel told him is as the sin of witchcraft. And so not only did he have the Spirit of God taken away from him, but he had an evil spirit from the Lord sent to trouble him. Depression, bitterness, anger, jealousy, malice, no rest, no peace for Saul. And who got all those blessings? David. Let's come over in our Bibles to John chapter 4. Why is this year called the year 2000? 2000 years from Jesus Christ. 2000 years since Jesus Christ. I mean, why don't we call it the year 6000? Since it's 6000 years since creation. Why do we all write 2000? The whole earth. 2000 years since Jesus Christ. And whenever we, rec whenever we deal with a date prior to Jesus Christ, we deal with B.C. And we date backwards. Yep. Instead of 4,000 years from creation, we date in reverse. Why do we do that? Because the entire scheme of all things is centered in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And there is a great dividing point in all of human history and in divine history. And it's with the coming of John the Baptist. The law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God is preached and all men press into it. Amen. Luke 16, 16. That is the great dividing point in time. John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was one... A voice of him crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Amen. That is the great event. John the Baptist coming and announcing the coming of Jesus Christ. That's why time is divided with Jesus Christ. Up until that point, Old Testament, the law of Moses, the sacrificial system of cutting and burning animals, and the Holy Spirit coming, in short, times of power, and then leaving. And then along comes John the Baptist and announces Jesus Christ, and then Jesus Christ is on the scene, and we have Jesus Christ 
needing to go through Samaria. And some strange words come out of his mouth. Verse 4 of John 4. And he must needs go through Samaria. Why did he need to go through Samaria? To find the woman of Samaria. Do you love that? Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, thank you, Lord, for telling us that. Don't ever be ashamed of being tired. And it was about, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour, noontime. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away into the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Are you thankful that your Lord Jesus Christ does not recognize the differences among men? Yankees and Southerners? Rednecks? Blacks? White? Yellow? There are no distinctions to the Lord Jesus Christ. She wants to know, why are you talking to me? Jews don't have anything to do with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. Can you go back and be at that well with those two? Those are such touching words. Those are such gracious words. If you knew the gift of God, and brother, we're going to talk about the gift of God today, and the gift of God is the Holy Ghost. You'll see. And who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. The woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? She's looking at it carnally at the moment. She doesn't recognize what he just said. She's purely thinking of H2O, natural water. Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well, and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle? Art thou greater than our father Jacob? I think so. I think he was. Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water, even though it might be Jacob's well, shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Amen. When God sends His Holy Spirit into a man, it isn't the end of a thing. It's the beginning of a thing. It's the beginning of eternal life, even though we're here on earth. And it changes the man and fits him for heaven by giving him a new man and a new heart and the Spirit of God dwelling within him. And it springs up into everlasting life because that's the fruit of it. It's eternal life with God. The woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water, 
that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Still a little confused. Jesus saith unto her, Go, call thy husband, and come hither. The woman, did Jesus know better than that question? Amen. Go, call thy husband, and come hither. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus saith unto, said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband. For thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. In that saidest thou truly. She may have been a confused about the water from the well, but she wasn't confused about her marital situation. And Jesus pointed it out to her perfectly clear. You've had five, and you don't have one right now, but you're with the man, he's not your husband. The woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Amen. Don't you love this exchange? Amen. Is the Lord gracious, Amen. kind, loving? Yes. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. She's recognizing that she might have a Jewish prophet. And she says, our fathers have always taught us that we have to worship in this mountain, but you Jews say that you can only worship in Jerusalem. Jesus saith unto her, woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Amen. A change in religion, brethren. Yep. A change in religion. Ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship Him. God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. The woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. <laughs> Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. Amen. I'd gladly be a woman if I could be the woman of Samaria and meet Jesus Christ on such loving terms and have him say, just ask. And I'll give thee living water that will spring up into everlasting life. Right. She ran into that city and she said, come and see a man that told me everything I ever did. And a crowd went out. Many believed on her after they heard that she had said that. He told me everything I ever did. But then they went out and heard Jesus. They came back into the city and they said, we first believed because you told us that he had said everything you ever did. But now we believe because we've heard him. Amen. It's a great, great. And he stayed there for two days with Samaritans and preached the gospel to them. Right. And in Acts chapter 8, Philip will follow up with a little bit of ministry a few years later or months. The hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And what was going to make this great difference? the living water that Jesus Christ spoke of right here. Right. He was going to give the living water, which is the Holy Spirit of God, to believers, that they would live and worship very differently. No longer at Jerusalem? Jesus said in verse 21, it won't work, true worship won't even be occurring at Jerusalem. Jesus knew he was going to level that city. It wasn't a temple religion. It was a religion of hotel rooms and catacombs, and houses, 
and woods and caves of the earth. But his spirit would be there and it would make all the difference in the world because God's true worshipers worship him in spirit and in truth. He said, you Samaritans don't have the truth. You don't even know what you worship for truth is of the Jews. But the Jews aren't even going to be worshiping in Jerusalem because they don't have the spirit. Now, they got it in Jerusalem, but it went out from there. And that's Acts chapter 2. But the change in religion with the granting of the Holy Spirit. Come over to John chapter 7. John chapter 7. Verse 32. The Pharisees heard that the people murmured such things concerning him. They're starting to believe that Jesus might be the Christ. Pharisees don't want that to happen. And the Pharisees and the chief priests sent officers to take him. We come to the 33rd verse. Then said Jesus unto them, Yet a little while am I with you, and then I go unto him that sent me. Ye shall seek me, and shall not find me. And where I am, thither ye cannot come. Then said the Jews among themselves, Whither will he go, that we shall not find him? Will he go unto the dispersed among the Gentiles, and teach the Gentiles? What manner of saying is this, that he said, Ye shall seek me, and shall not find me? And where I am, thither ye cannot come. They're so carnally minded, they're thinking he's going to go to some new address on planet earth. In the last day, that great day of the feast, that's the last day of the Passover. Remember, it's a seven-day feast. Holy Sabbath on the first day, Holy Sabbath on the last day. In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the Scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Now, if it ended there, we'd have to do some careful Bible comparison to know exactly what he meant by a believer getting rivers of living water flowing out of his belly. But you know what? God didn't leave us in the dark, did he? Amen. Let's make it very simple. The Holy Spirit, the spirit of illumination and inspiration and preservation did not leave us in the dark. Amen but gave us the 39th verse, which is in parentheses, but this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. Amen. The doctrine of the Holy Spirit. He is the eternal God. He was not given as a permanent blessing and presence in the life of God's saints until Jesus Christ had won the victory and was glorified in heaven. And God the Father gave him the spoils of his great accomplishment. And those spoils were the Holy Ghost, which he in turn dispensed and gave and poured out and buried the early church in the Holy Ghost. John the Baptist said, I baptize you with water, but he that cometh after me, that is before me, that is preferred before me, he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost. And we are not talking about a sprinkling and a pouring like Rome and her harlot daughters practice. We are talking about a flood that buried the church so that they were under it and in it 
and covered by it, the Holy Ghost. What's the condition? What is the difficult condition to have the Spirit of God? To have that living water in your belly flowing out? What is the condition? In this text. Believing. Verse 38, He that believeth on me, as the Scripture hath said out of his belly, shall flow rivers of living water. Are you a believer this morning? Amen. The Holy Spirit is yours. We'll see more. We'll see more later on this study. But the Holy Spirit is yours. Notice, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost was not yet given. Those priests and those people that brought those animal sacrifices, no Holy Ghost. Ritual, the letter of the law, the letter that kills, the Bible tells us. All they got out of those services was a reminder that they were sinners. The law bringing us to Jesus Christ. Jesus, when he was glorified, when he rose up 40 days after he was resurrected, he rose up to the right hand of God the Father, and God gave him the gift of the Holy Ghost, which he in turn gave to his church. And it is by the gift of the Holy Ghost that we are able to believe and to do the things that the Lord wants us to do to please him. Right. Without Him, we are dead and we are nothing. It is the way by which we dwell in Jesus Christ and He in us. It is how we dwell in the vine and we receive our life from God is through the Holy Spirit. It is how we have the kingdom of God, which is not meat and drink any longer. Prior to this point, it was meat and drink. Laws and carnal ordinances, but those have all been set aside for righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. That's the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God came with the arrival of John the Baptist and Jesus Christ. And just a few days after Jesus rose into heaven, he poured out that gift on the church, the Holy Spirit of God. Out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. It is the presence of God himself in our life that bears the fruit of eternal life. God hasn't saved us just to keep us out of hell. God has saved us for His own praise and His own glory. And He brings that about by giving us the Holy Spirit. And if we this morning say, I love the singing, I love the psalm, I understand the preaching, and I want to please that Lord, but we only do it in the flesh by some ritualistic legalism, We'll fall flat. We'll leave this place. The word will be snatched away and you'll be left in the flesh, hopeless and without God in the world. Except a still small voice that's awfully hard to hear when you're in the flesh. But if we humble ourselves and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and repent of any sins that we have in our lives, the Holy Spirit of God will fill us and flow out of our bellies. Amen. And it will spring up into everlasting life. And we will live and look like we are the sons and daughters of God. And we will have love and joy and peace and gentleness and goodness and faith and meekness and temperance because those are the fruit of the Holy Spirit. You say, I want more. I don't know of any sins that I haven't confessed. 
I do believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want that living water that the woman of Samaria had offered to her. Amen. Then pray for it. Amen. Seek it. Luke eleven thirteen. Jesus said, If ye as evil fathers know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more Amen. shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him? Amen. How much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit? You saw Saul changed. You saw Jephthah changed. Gideon changed. And many more. David was given the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is ours, brethren. He's already been given. But are you filled with Him this morning? But be filled with the Spirit. That's an imperative instruction to you. That's a commandment. Be filled. But that verb filled is a passive voice. That means God does the filling. You let God fill you by humbling yourself before the Holy God and loving His Son, Jesus Christ, and believing on Him, and repent of your sins, and He will fill you. Amen. And you will love the name of Jesus. Amen. And you will love righteousness. May God bless us. Amen. It is not by might nor by power. It's not by minutes nor by hours. It's not by proof texts. It's not by eloquence, it's not by force, and it's not by volume. It's by my spirit, saith the Lord. Amen. And I am praying for you, and I hope you'll pray for me, Amen. that it will be a well of living water that springs up into everlasting life. Amen. Right. May Jesus Christ be praised. Amen.